and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 68th episode of the podcast for the week of September 2nd, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome back LA-based professional astrologer and astrological magician, Nina Griffin, who will join me in a discussion on astro meteorology, otherwise known as weather astrology. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to show appreciation for my work, you can get early Sunday access to the podcast for as little as $1 per month. And the podcast does have show notes as well if you'd like to sign up for that. So you can do so over at Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar if you would like to make a one-time donation. And you can do that over at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week in team-oriented Libra, waxing and gaining in light as she gets settled in her new lunar cycle. By Monday evening, she moves into the passionate waters of Scorpio, where she will create some steam before moving into the philosophical fires of Sagittarius late Wednesday evening. She then goes on to heat things up and create some friction with her first quarter square Thursday evening. She remains in this Jupiter-dominated zone for the rest of the work week until moving into Saturn's Capricorn territory on Saturday, and where she'll be getting down to business for the remainder of the weekend. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, at about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, at about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. All right, my friends. Well, where do I even start this week? We have so much going on that this forecast might be a little longer than normal because of all that action. And so what do we got? We have the sun making conjunctions with both Mars and Mercury, while they also trine Saturn and square Jupiter. Uh, or the sun does. And so we have Mercury and Mars making a conjunction uh, themselves, and they're both going to try and Saturn. We have Mercury, who is going to oppose Neptune, square Jupiter, and trine Pluto. Uh, And then Venus is essentially leading the way for Mercury, making the same aspects. And of course, we have that first quarter moon in Sagittarius. So we have quite the magical week in store, and a plethora of action is guaranteed. So it looks like Virgo is going to make me work 
for it with this forecast. So let us waste no time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Libra, but she will move to Scorpio around midday here on the Pacific coast. Uh, And along the way, she'll actually make a very uh, early, early, early square to Pluto while we sleep, but the rest of the day, she's kind of just cruising through the skies. But also of note, we have the sun making its conjunction to Mars, which is rather significant. And we also have Venus making a square to Jupiter. Uh, And I'm going to add Venus's opposition to Neptune, which is just a few days down the road. But a lot of the aspects this week I'm going to pair together because there is so much action going on. So let us start with our sun conjunction to Mars. So our sun, our life force, our vitality, you know, this is where we become aware of purpose and we turn a page. And of course, a conjunction, you know, these are new cycles. The energies are merging to become one and to fuse, uh, you know, a new a seeding in a new cycle, basically. And so where is that sun seeding? And that's with Mars. This is our drive. This is our action energy. This is where we assert ourselves, and, you know, where we're going here. So, you know, And I will say that we probably felt this over the weekend uh, brewing because this conjunction actually happened super early on Monday morning. And really, Mars and the sun have been riding in the same degree in the sky for the past few days. Um, So just FYI on that. Now, it is not every day that our solar light meets warrior Mars in conjunction in the skies. The last seeding of this cycle happened at four degrees Leo back on July 26th of 2017, a few years ago. And the next one won't happen until October 7th of 2021 at 15 degrees Libra. So you can see how this fusion of energy is quite significant in, uh, you know, the setting up of a lengthier cycle. So here we have the conscious awareness of our life force meeting with our action selves, and where we merge this sense of purposeful knowing with our assertive drive. And I find this very timely as we just came off of several Uranus trines that allow us to tap into our own authenticity. And now we can take that renewed sense of integrity and create a path to become that in the world. And this is the perfect time to sever any ways of being that no longer suit you or to put up boundaries where they are needed so you may align and purify your energy towards the ultimate goal. And you can look at it as if we are hooking up the motor of our cars to an updated GPS system, and some routes are no longer viable to take. It's also interesting to note that the tangible nature of this conjunction being in an Earth sign, uh, because for, you know, the Sun and Mars have not merged in an Earth sign since 2004, which was also in Virgo. So perhaps look back to that time period to get a flavor of what the energy may look like for you. Um, I personally hope this bodes well for people to take action and to help clean up and purify our planet for the nature spirits, which certainly approve of that at this time. All right, so what about Venus squaring Jupiter and uh, on approach to make an opposition to Neptune? Well, you know, Venus, that's our relationship energy. That's where we open up and draw in things, attract things, uh, how we harmonize our life and, you know, what values we have. And so she is uh, creating friction um, with Jupiter, which Jupiter is just trying to expand our worldview, help us grow and move things along. But she's also in this opposition where she is, you know, has 
this bird's eye view of Neptune, uh, which is all about uh, kind of disillusion of things and disintegrating um, and surrendering and accepting uh, and transcending. But also, you know, there's a spiritual connection there that allows us to do that. And so, uh, you know, technically the, the square to Jupiter is on Monday, uh, and then the opposition to Neptune will perfect Wednesday morning while we sleep here in North America. So to add to the new cycle starting this week, we have Venus, our attraction energy, reconfiguring herself in relationships and personal values as she forms a T-square with both Jupiter and Neptune. And this would be the perfect time to give gratitude for what you have in life and what you would like to attract in. For if you embody a state of being blessed in the world, you will continue to attract in more blessings. And even if what it is you desire has yet to arrive, chances are it's only a matter of time and we may need to sit in this incubatory space that is setting, uh, that is really set on initiating our spiritual ideals into the physical world. And there could also be uh, so much energy at play that you may feel rather lax or not wanting to do much but daydream, you know, because this is Neptune we're talking about here and Jupiter. Yet we will still feel, uh, you know, we'll still have to open to what needs to happen in our tangible realm to make those visions a reality. Uh, I suppose that it is the fortune of the Sun and Mars conjuncting, uh, you know, their conjunction basically syncing up with these aspects, because I think that's really going to help uh, all this working in tandem. So the bottom line for Monday is, is here we have a two-part day where we spend the first half of the day connecting with others and communicating future potentials in a more conceptual space. And by evening time, she shifts into Scorpio, bringing increased passion and emotional intensity as she feels the quakes of authenticity that Uranus is sending out. Many awakenings are taking place, so expect deeper soul desires to be speaking uh, at this time with the possibility of, you know, you know, feelings of excitement and or disruption at this time. It could be a little bit of both. All right, so Tuesday, the moon is fully in Scorpio, and she'll make a super early opposition to Uranus. Uh, but in the day, she will sextile Mars, Mercury, the Sun, Saturn, and Venus, and then trine Neptune. So now also note, we have Mercury conjuncting Mars, and we have the Sun conjuncting Mercury. Uh, so we're going to put those two together here for Tuesday. And so, you know, Mercury, this is how our perception in life, uh, communications, news, uh, emails, calls, texts, you know, information. And so that is seeding. Uh, we have two conjunctions taking place. So that's seeding with the action oriented focus of Mars, uh, but then we have the Sun and Mercury meeting in their superior conjunction. Uh, so Mercury is also getting a hit of solar awareness. Um, so I believe that great truths are coming to light at this time as Mercury seeds into two new cycles with the Sun and Mars right after those two made their own conjunction. So keep that in mind. They already talked, and now Mercury is coming along to pick up that ray. And with all these planets in Virgo pushing us for greater, you know, integrity around what we desire to become in this world, there will be a seeding of specific intentions within newfound perspectives at play. We are opening to the truth of our own nature and our own spirit. And with that knowledge, we get to rearrange our perception of reality so that integrity can shift into its right place. 
And these first few days of the week may seem rather spiritual despite the heavy emphasis on reality, for I think we seek to blend the two, and that will be the driving force for this Virgo season. So writing down your uh, intentions onto a list or putting together ideas around where you want to assert yourself going forward can be very beneficial in helping to organize the plan of action ahead. So the bottom line for Tuesday is, is that it's a day of opportunity as the moon makes all the sextiles. Mercury conjuncts Mars and the sun and Mercury, uh, you know, Mercury is making a superior conjunction to the sun. This is big, you know, this, <laughs> this is a significant cycle. So there's magic in the air. And many of this week's aspects are coming together to open the door to transition and adaptation. Uh, perfect after all those Uranus trines last week. So it is important with the Scorpio moon that we engage in the passion and use that intensity to feel into what is now being created. You know, help it give us the fuel rather than take us down. Because our emotions will likely be the barometer to how much you are aligned with your own inner integrity. So note any moodiness at this time. Yet overall, I think there is a lot of possibility to this day and we should take advantage of the flow. Now, on Wednesday, the mood is in Scorpio, but we'll move to Sagittarius later in the evening here on the Pacific Coast. Um, And so the bottom line for Wednesday is that the Venus and Neptune opposition perfects in the morning on this day, which I've already spoke of. Um, and we have a, you know, we have a day where we are just kind of going through the motions and moving through the emotional changes that previously took place. And we are very much attuned to our desires today and feelings will probably be a little bit on the, on the deep end. Uh, but by the evening, Luna shifts into Sagittarius and emotionally aligns us with the changes in motion. So if you are riding high, continue on that wave of enthusiasm. And if you are riding low, look for the silver lining in everything. Now, on Thursday, we have our first quarter moon in Sagittarius, which will, uh, she'll also make a square to Mars before she makes her square to the sun. And so, uh, aside from first quarter, we also have Mercury making a trine to Saturn, um, but Mercury is on course to make a trine to Saturn, a square to Jupiter, an opposition to Neptune, and then a trine to Pluto uh, over the, the coming days um, in the latter half of the week. So we're going to look at all these influences at once to see Mercury's trajectory here. Um, and so I do have to say that this is a powerful start after fusing new cycles with both the Sun and Mars just a few days prior. So Mercury is off to the races with a purified understanding as the mind shifts to align with a new direction in life. Now, you can bet that with all these Mercury aspects taking place, which are six total for this week, that there is going to be a plethora of communication and correspondence that comes in this week. So if you've been waiting to hear the specifics about something, you probably will now. Uh, Mercury is making a chain of aspects that first draws a karmic boundary line where we where certain paths open while others shut down. Then challenges our beliefs around moving forward. Then then Mercury goes on to move into his place of spiritual understanding and acceptance of what is with that Neptune opposition, and then drops us off in Pluto's underworld so our minds can align with the changes being made. 
So there may be a bit of a, a mental roller coaster this week. Yet with the strength of Mercury's current position in Virgo, we can stay cautious, grounded, and informed in our decisions. So write down your thoughts and your ideas if your head starts to swim at this time, for that will really help relieve any tension and create order if any chaos presents itself. Uh, now, also, we have that first quarter moon in Sagittarius, which will happen at 13 degrees and 15 minutes of Sag, and that's going to be perfecting at 8, 10 p.m. here on the Pacific coast. And so our solar light is creating friction with Luna as she tours the expansive fires of Sagittarius, and chances are there's going to be some tension around our ability to grow in our stories. What beliefs we hold in life may be, you know, challenged at this time, along with the ability to stay optimistic about the big picture. And sometimes reality can mire us down and make things feel heavy with all the bits and pieces and moving parts. So there may be challenges around integrating both the macro and the micro. Yet this tension serves to activate us towards transition and forward momentum, as the sun will square Jupiter in just a few days' time. So if you feel challenged by what you know or what you believe about life, see if you can't break through to a more enlightened and adaptable position. So, you know, the bottom line for Thursday is, is that the heat is turned up as a first quarter, quarter moon is fired up uh, with, you know, in Sagittarius. And it's getting some flames from Mars because, you know, Luna is in a square to Mars, which has always had a little bit of volatility to it. Um, and Mercury is also ramping things up. And this evening is likely to be significant to our stories as this lunation period is very much tied up in the forward, forward momentum of the Sun-Jupiter square that is on a approach. There is likely to be friction and agitation today, so be aware. And if you do feel significantly challenged, just know that things will simmer down by the weekend. All right, on to Friday. So the moon is still in Sagittarius, and she will make a conjunction to Jupiter and a square to Mercury and Neptune, uh, basically why we sleep very early in the morning, and then uh, make a square to Venus uh, during the morning when we are awake. Also, note we have the Sun making a trine to Saturn, and we have Venus making a trine to Pluto. And so now the Sun, the Sun, that vital force of awareness, is now making a flowing trine with Saturn. And so Saturn, that's our responsibility. That's our long-term commitment. You know, what's the plan look like? Where are we taking authority in our lives? Where, you know, what's what's the what's the where's the commitment? What's the structure? How do we get organized? And so. So basically, shortly after Mercury meets Saturn, the sun lines up to bring conscious awareness to our prior perceptions as we become even clearer around around our shifting commitments and personal and societal boundaries. And this helps strengthen our courage to step into one's authority and personal integrity now that those states of being have been reworked. And there is an internal fortitude taking place, especially as Saturn is relatively close to stationing direct because it's still in retrograde motion. So having the solar flow brings light to where we are advancing in the long term, especially as we're approaching the great Saturn-Pluto conjunction in January of 2020. These solar aspects leading up uh, to that conjunction are likely to play heavily into that story. So now, if you find that there is a barrier put in your way at this time, see how you can be adaptable and go around it rather than getting stuck or trying to remain in a commitment or an obligation that is now needing to shift. 
Now, also with Venus trine Pluto here, you know, uh, another, these are flowing, you know, things are flowing. There's no stopping these, this energy right now. And so that relational energy and that value consciousness um, is basically attracting in Pluto at this time, which Pluto is about transformation and deep changes um, and purifying the self and in the emotions. And that can be intense at times. So, Now, on the same day that conscious lines are being drawn with Saturn, we also have our attraction energy flowing with great change that may accompany considerable intensity. And so life continues to shift, and Venus in her current state needs to do a lot of reconfiguration as she is getting a makeover before her grand entrance into Libra in a few weeks' time. So our value consciousness is getting purified and reconstructed, and relationships and creative projects are likely to fall within that, um, you know, for change and further adaptation. And she's already met the forward momentum of Jupiter and the spiritual acceptance of what is when challenged by Neptune. So now the gates of the underworld clear a path for her to submerge into the transformative depths so she can fully undergo her transition and root out any lower natures that affect us uh, from opening up to our fundamental core. So the bottom line for Friday is there was a lot of lunar activity while we slept. So look to your dreams, you know, because they could be very telling at this time. And the Mercury-Neptune opposition is on approach uh, this day, which I already spoke of, uh, along with the sun talking to Saturn and Venus to Pluto. So the story continues to shift and we are asked to be adaptable and maybe even a bit adventurous in our willingness to move on in life. And we may be a little moody and less than sociable as Luna squares Venus while she is configured to the intensity of Pluto. So give yourself some freedom and space if need be. Now, on Saturday, uh, the moon is in Capricorn now and will make a trine to Uranus. So the bottom line for Saturday is that energy grounds down a bit now that the moon is in Capricorn and makes an innovative trine to Uranus. And so we are getting, you know, we're getting ready to, or, or we're not even getting ready, we are ready to shake things up, you know, shake it out and make practical changes in our lives as our emotional energy is basically constricting at this time. And so things slow down, and especially as Mercury just perfected its opposition to Neptune, we may want to give ourselves some space to get things down, or not down, but done in our own time. Uh, Perhaps spending some time in meditation can help provide pragmatic clarity so we may move forward with efficient foresight. Now, on Sunday, uh, Sunday, we have the moon still in Capricorn. She'll trine Mars, conjunct Saturn, trine the Sun, sextile Neptune, trine Mercury, and conjunct Pluto. So Sunday uh, is another biggie day this week. Um, And not only that, we have the Sun squaring Jupiter that day, and we also have Mars making a trine to Saturn. Now, the sun square Jupiter, you know, we've already talked about these energies together, and squares create events and challenge us. And so after all that action that confronted us with movement and change this week, the sun finally perfects its square with Jupiter, and our conscious awareness around it, around it all is, you know, more forcefully activated as we gain purpose in the knowing that life is pushing us forward. And this aspect only happens twice a year, so you can consider it an eventful growth growth spurt that is taking place. And being in mutable signs, we are challenged towards transition and adaptability as life is shifting in big ways. Yet I think that all that planetary preparation that took place prior is really setting us up for transformative conditions that can cleanse the spirit and refresh the soul. 
especially as the Sun is close to its opposition with Neptune and forming a T configuration with the Jupiter-Neptune square that will make its last pass very shortly here in a few weeks' time. So here we are at this pivotal moment um, that is activating our ability to say yes to the next chapter of our stories. Now, Mars in a trine to Saturn, you know, our action energy is flowing with our our long-term commitments and the structure of everything. And so now that Mars comes along to flow with Saturn, we can act on Venus, Mercury, and the Sun's previous awareness with this placement. And especially since the Moon is in Capricorn and highlighting Saturn on this day, on Sunday, there's a lot of practical energy that will allow us to get things done. Productivity is emphasized, and we can clear the way to push parts of our physical reality towards completion, while also transitioning towards the new projects that seek our commitment and dedication. We are aligning with the long-term architectural structure now at play, and by going through the motions, we can put our energy into life's little tasks that will help us realize the grandest of plans. So the bottom line for Sunday is here we have another significant day sprinkled with many different energies as the Mercury-Pluto trine is activated along with the two aspects that I just spoke of. And so there is a strengthening today and a solidity of purpose, and I think we will be feeling quite good about it and ready for change. Things come together on Sunday as the plan clarifies and we are up to the task of adjusting our reality towards manifesting a promising new future. So to wrap all of this up, which I know it was a lot, so I hope you stayed with me, folks. But this week, you know, new cycles are abound and our stories are moving forward in significant ways. And I think much of what we have been waiting for all year will start to fall into place at this time in ways that are and are not in our control. So go with the flow and get your plan in place for the future awaits. Okay, so let's take a look at the cards because I always add a little something, something. And so this week I drew the hanged man as the focus and strength as the grounding. Now, with the hangman as the focus, we may likely be hung up on something this week that is going to need a new perspective in order to move forward. And this card usually shows itself when we are stuck in an area of life and are in need of some reflection around the the matter, where we can kind of turn it upside down and look at things from all angles, kind of like a Rubik's Cube. And there's also the possibility, especially as Mercury and Venus both oppose Neptune this week, that we will be called upon to sacrifice or let go of something someone or some concept in order to leave room for what the universe has, uh, you know, in store for us next. And now, you know, with strength as the grounding, this card reinforces the hangman with the message that in order to get through the difficulties of life, you'll need to have inner strength. And so the fact that two major arcana cards showed up this week, along with our plethora of transits and transitional energies, we can guarantee that this will be a journey-defining week. So find ways to tame the inner beast by coming from a place of love, compassion, and forgiveness, all Neptune things uh, and Pisces things, uh, for yourself and others in life. Embody the courage to speak from your true self and don't let fear or misplaced ego get in the way. Stay strong in who you are at the core and move forward with a new perspective on life. And chances are it is more about, you know, surrendering the outcome to the universe and allowing things to happen in their own divine timing. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the wolf.
dear pack loving friend is sending us the message that there will be a spiritual teaching imparted to us this week. And it's important to stay disciplined within your spiritual practice so that you may trust your inner guidance and, and progress forward. And the wolf is known for being able to work independently and within groups and has the discernment required in order to see who can, you know, put, who you can put your confidence in, who can, you can put your loyalty into. So look to others at this time that are on a similar path as you and see if you can work together as a team so that everyone may fulfill their goals with greater efficiency. All right, everyone. Well, you know, if you want to support this podcast, come on over to Patreon because I have uh, my offerings over there, including show notes for this podcast for only $3 per month. And so all that I just talked about and all the words I just told you right here, you can have those sent to you via email and you can refer to them at any time during the week, which can be very useful, especially if there's a lot of content. And of course, I also have my Astro Storytime program that comes out once a month, which is $6 per month, where you can follow some interesting Astro stories where I break down charts and share celebrity charts and charts of the moment and all types of different things. And so I'm about to do the second episode here very shortly. Um, And so what I've decided to do this week is to uh, make the first program that I did last month available for free to watch for this week only. So come on over, check it out, see if it's something that you like. And keep in mind, I'm just getting started, so I'm perfecting it as I go too. Um, But I would love to see you there and I would love to have that support. So if you want to find out more, you can go uh, check the video out over at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right. Well, I'm so happy to welcome back to the podcast. We have Nina Griffin with us. Hello, Nina. Hi. How are you, Mel? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to have you back on the program. Uh, I think Nina joined me, I want to say, last October-ish. Do you recall? Yeah, it feels like about a year ago. Yes. Oh, yeah. We're almost there. Oh, my gosh. October. We're in September. uh, Almost to September here as we're recording this. Um, So uh, I think she spoke on astrological magic and talismans last time. Um, And so if you want to go check that out, look back to previous podcasts because that was an excellent episode. But for those of you who are not familiar with Nina, uh, will you give us a little little background on yourself? Absolutely. Thank you, Mel, for having me, by the way. So... Um, my background is in, in traditional astrology. I probably like most people, I, I think it's fair to say I started out as a modern astrologer. And then around the year 2000, um, I guess right around the you know, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, I got very interested in traditional astrology. And that kind of fueled my interest because I saw that there's a lot that you can do with it. Um, other than just reading natal charts, which is kind of the primary focus in modern astrology. And I realized you could do things like horary and you could do um, astrological magic and you could do uh, astro meteorology, which is what we're talking about today. And uh, ever since then, I, I, I guess, considered myself more of a traditional astrologer. And as Mel alluded to earlier, a big part of my practice is astrological magic. So it's kind of like the use of um, astrology and astrological symbolism to uh, to time magical rituals and to work with the different energies of the planets in a proactive manner. So it's not just about predicting what happens, but 
can I somehow align myself with these energies of the different planets to, you know, improve my life and hopefully improve myself in the process as well. Mm, I like that. So rather than, you know, uh, it's almost like, yeah, it's a proactive working with yeah. what you know is what what's coming. And you have, right. um, uh, you've been sharing a, a podcast recently, right? That is touching yes. on some of the stuff? Yes, I do one episode a month. So compared to many other podcasts, that's like a glacial time, but <laughs> I just do one a month and it's called Magical Elections if someone is interested out there. And usually I talk about, I give kind of one free magical election for the upcoming month. So if you want to make your own talisman, I kind of explain, you know, here's a good talisman. Here's when the time is. Here are the kind of materials you'll want to use, you know, just to kind of get people interested and get people aware of what what actually is involved. And I usually do interviews with people who are as I say, either astrologers or magicians or astrology and magic adjacent. Um, so often there are a lot of people who are, you know, kind of somewhere somewhere in between those two uh, those two groups. So. Mm, yes, that's very cool. This is a rather new offering, if I do recall. Um, and so, yeah, go check that out if you're interested in uh, finding out about more about talismans and magic and ways to uh, work with astrology and, you know... It's different than what a lot of people do, but it's it's also very ancient. So you know, it's nothing. exactly is it old school or is it new school? Hard to say. It's hard yeah. to say. Um, so the old gets a new flavor, I suppose. So now I have been doing a series now for a handful of months where I'm asking anybody that comes on the program who practices astrology, you know, what sparked your interest in astrology? Like, what was that entrance point where you know that that magical moment, <laughs> that magical <laughs> talismanic moment uh, that uh, piqued your interest in astrology? Well, I really wish I had the chart for it because I'm sure it would be interesting. Yeah. Um, but in the absence of that, I think I was about the age, I want to say around the age 10. Mm-hmm. And I saw a book on, um, it, it's called uh, Chinese Astrology by Theodora Lau. It's a very popular book. I'm pretty sure it was published probably in the 1980s. And when I saw that book, um, I was just completely, completely transfixed because it was almost like I just knew like this is the right topic for me. I just went directly to it. I had never really had exposure to um, sun sign columns or anything like that before. So it's almost like I went from kind of no awareness to total interest and awareness just in the space of like walking into the bookstore and looking around. So if if that makes sense, I I can't really explain how it happened, but that was definitely the moment. That was the moment. That was the entry point. (laughs) And no, I like that. And that's, I had a similar entry point myself where I was led to a library book sale that got me on the path and even a $20 bill floated past my feet before I got there so I could buy the book. (laughs) It was, it was one of those moments, you know, where everything to be, it was meant to be. And what was the book, Mel? I'm sure you said in the past episode, but (laughs) Well, it's funny because the book itself was actually uh, the book of the hand by Fred Gettings. So it was palmistry. Palmistry, I did an episode a few months back with Mackenzie Greer where we were talking about the correlations between astrology and palmistry because they're actually very uh, tied into one another. And that's how I got into astrology to begin with was because I started to, uh, I fell in love with palmistry and I was like, well, what's all this? Wow. You know, Sun, Venus, Jupiter, you know, like what is more to this? And and he himself, he's written books on astrology as well. So he was doing a lot of crossover in the book itself, which helped me, um, you know, uh, follow those breadcrumbs sure. forward. But 
I, I, you know, it's just these moments and they're meant to be and everybody seems to have them. And it's usually a book. Some people, you know, some people are, uh, are, you know, gifted down through ancestry <laughs> and they're like, yes, ancestry. well, you know, we can't all be so blessed. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so that's wonderful. So 10, so I'm noticing it's, a lot of times it's Jupiter cycles for people oh. or it's a Saturn return, but mm-hmm. you're like a little bit early on the Jupiter cycle. So, you know, exactly. I'll have to see exactly if I can pinpoint the, at least the year and maybe even the month, that would be fun. But I didn't think to do that before episode, unfortunately. <laughs> You're fine. A little homework for later when your That's mind right. peaks up about it. That's right. So, all right. Well, let us get into our topic of astrometeorology because I am absolutely fascinated with it myself. And I'm a complete novice. I like know very little. And I know Nina has uh, more experience in this area. So I was so pleased when she said she'd come on and give us you know, a little background on what you know, astrology and the weather, how they work together, how you can see one through the other. And so uh, where should we start, Nina? Um, Maybe an overview of some sort of history? Absolutely. That sounds great, Mel. So um, just as background, astrometeorology or weather astrology, if you don't want a tongue twister, is is what I believe to be probably the oldest form of astrology there is. Because if you can imagine in ancient Sumeria, excuse me, you know, you had people looking up at the sky to figure out what the weather was going to be. Are we going to have a good harvest? You know, all those things that are so tied into human survival in an agricultural society. So I think even before people started looking at the skies to figure out how the king was going to do, which is a very kind of Babylonian uh, technique, and it's something that we have records of. I am sure, and there is evidence that even before that, we were just looking up at the sky to understand kind of long range weather. And, you know, is this a good year to go all out and plant everything? Or is this a year where you need to hold back some of your food because you might need it? You know, just everything that's really needed to, again, to survive uh, when you're, you pretty much just eat what you grow and maybe what you hunt. Mm. So you have to look at it that way. What's interesting is that in the 20th and 21st centuries, there's still a lot of interest in astrometeorology, but it's definitely become much more of a niche area of interest. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is we went through a major agricultural revolution in the 20th century uh, because of new farming techniques and new, um, for example, like breeds of wheat. And that's a whole different topic by itself. But it's a lot easier because of the technology available to us and the knowledge available to us um, that came around in like the 1940s and 1950s to get a much more productive harvest, for example. And so it's not to say that we're not dependent on the weather, but it's just, you know, you're much less likely as a farmer, for example, to get totally wiped out than even, you know, in the earlier, in the early 20th century, for example. Mm. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, just on a personal level, most of us spend most of our times in time indoors, if you think about it. And so if you're reading about, you know, people having like vitamin D deficiency because you just go from, you know, your office to your home to your car, you're actually not outside that much. And I think as a result, we just aren't as impacted by the weather as we would have been even in the 19th century and certainly before then. So weather has become less um, part of our kind of daily life and it impacts us a lot less than it used to. Now, that's not to say we still don't have hurricanes and big snows and all of that, but I'm just talking kind of on a very day-to-day level where 
you had to go outside to get firewood and just, you know, to kind of continue your daily existence. Mm. I never really even thought about it that way. But right? like, well, it's so true because I mean, I am one of those people that have <laughs> dealt with vitamin D deficiency, right. especially being a redhead because, you know, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a threshold anyways. Um, but yeah, no, that's a very real thing when you don't let the sun, you know, kiss your skin and you don't have that same relationship to the weather that we used to. That's uh, right. That's very instinctual, you know, like people would just read... I don't know. It's very instinctual, you know, senses type of thing mm-hmm. to go out and feel the wind on your, you know, skin and the, the sun on your. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that very interesting, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm glad you think so. Um, and so we actually, because of this interest in in both kind of the economic aspects of it and also just the personal interaction with the weather, um, we have quite a few old textbooks that talk about how to predict uh, weather using astrology. And even in times when astrology was um, prohibited or very much discouraged by religious authorities in Western Europe, pretty much in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance, just kind of depending on the period and the area, they always allowed um, astrometeorology because it just seemed like, well, of course, you know, the weather is in the sky and the planets are in the sky and it's just the most normal thing that you'd want to, you know, understand the weather report. And so that usually kind of got past the sensors. And so there's a fair amount of material out there that we can use to study it. Um, like I said, ironically, maybe there's less interest in it now, but the, the good news about it is that when you do study it, you can see very clearly certain patterns and it's a, it's a really fun way to engage with astrological symbolism. So especially if you live somewhere that gets interesting weather, at least some part of the year. And, you know, on the West Coast, we get like our heat waves and whatever. If you live in the Midwest, you'll get your big snows and all of that fun thunderstorms. But the, um, the interesting part of it is that you can really watch as these aspects come together and perfect and then gradually drift away. And uh, it really helps you understand a little bit about those energies and you can transfer that knowledge to all areas of astrology. So we'll talk about more, you know, certain charts, I guess, later. But I want to be very clear that it's, a, it's just a very direct way of engaging with that symbolism, as Mel pointed out, in kind of almost a very sensory way, in a, in a very tangible and, and sort of visual way. It's not just these abstract symbols floating around on your computer screen. It's something that you can look outside and verify. Yes. And so that is so cool to me that <laughs> that's able to be done. Um, and such a, a, a blessing, really. I think I wish more people practiced this because you know how... Uh, our normal meteorology goes where, you know, it's going to be this tomorrow. And, you know, maybe they have like the small right. though, as That's to what right. they can actually predict versus this technique, which is a, a wider view, it seems. Um, and of course we have the old farmer's almanac, right? They've been using the, the moon phases and the cycles of that with the planting and uh, the farm industry for, for years. And that's, that's sky-based. So exactly. Why not? Exactly. So now, okay. So let's talk about some uh, some historical events here, or maybe just some things of, of note um, that where we've had some kind of crazy weather. I, I know you had a couple of charts. So I was going to ask Nina about the, the heat wave in Europe that happened. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and there were, there were actually two heat waves. Um, there was one in June and one in July. And um, I don't know if um, if you're going to be showing the charts sort of as part of the podcast that's or... A, 
Mm-hmm. I, what I'll do is Maybe I'll in the put notes. them on, yeah, I'll put them on, um, I usually do a blog post. I usually, cool. I do. I always do a blog post yeah. and I'll be sure to share the charts that Nina provided um, for other, for the listeners. That's great. And so people can follow along. I mean, I don't think it's going to be super complicated, but it'll just make it a little easier. Yes. Um, yeah. So if you look at the chart, so I just set it for, and I'll just take a very quick peek here just to make sure I'm looking at the right, um, at the right chart. Let's see. So yeah, so in June, it's it's quite interesting. So June is basically the last week of June is when Europe experienced their heat wave. And part of the as you can you can see that there are some aspects in there that are definitely interesting. So one thing that's going on then is Mercury slowed way down as it was entering the fixed fire sign of Leo. And so you kind of know where that's going, you know, especially in the summer, something's going to be in Leo. Um, Excuse me. And, you know, that's often going to be the sun, but usually Mercury is going to end up there at some point in the summer as will Venus. And Leo is definitely a key heat wave indicator in my experience, partly because it's a fixed sign. And so it, it creates, or it seems to indicate these like masses of hot air that just kind of sit on a place and they're fixed and they won't move. Mm. So it's a very simple way of thinking about it, but that does seem to be a manifestation of it. And so, um, as you know, Mercury stationed in early July at 4 Leo. So Mercury kind of slowed way down as it went through the end of Cancer and then it went into, um, and then it went into Leo. And what I noticed is that these, these fixed fire degrees were under pretty significant pressure because uh, Mars and Mercury were about to conjoin. And so they were kind of traveling together already in late Cancer and then into early Leo. And that's the other thing, of course. If you have planets that are impacted by a conjunction to Mars, which is, of course, usually hot and dry, except when he indicates storms, we'll talk about that in in a bit, Mm -hmm. Um, that usually will increase the heat and it'll increase kind of the intensity of whatever weather is going on. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, this is kind of the perfect recipe for a heat wave. Now, during the same time or about the same time, we had some earthquakes here in Southern California. And so that was also indicated by that Mercury-Mars conjunction. Um, one of the books that I like to refer to, um, it's called the Astro Meteorologica. It's from 1686 by a gentleman named Goad, G-O-A-D. Um, he pointed out that Mercury with Mars is often an earthquake indicator. Hmm. And, uh, and that was certainly the case for us. So, you know, in one place, it can show a heat wave and another, just depending on kind of what is what else is going on in that location, since obviously weather is going to be pretty location dependent, it might show things like earthquakes. Mm. And that's interesting because uh, at that, you know, at, as for this particular chart, we have the moon separating from Uranus. And I know uh, Mr. Goad back then probably didn't, wasn't, wasn't no, quite looking no, at you Uranus. you definitely did not. That's um, right. But I remember thinking, uh, I mean, in relation to the earthquakes that you were just talking about here in Southern California, as I mm-hmm. saw all the you know planets line up basically to square Uranus and then the stationing Mercury. <laughs> that is that's insane. right. And I ha- I just had a feeling, and sure enough, uh, we felt it. I mean, did you feel it, Nina? You're in LA, so you're- yeah. You know, it's funny. I was actually in Big Sur at the time, so I did not feel it. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> if I had been in LA, I surely would have felt it. But I was on vacation. It was the fourth of july week and so yeah 
Yes. Well, you, yeah. you would have definitely felt it because I felt it here in San Diego. For sure. No, I'm sure we would have. Yes. And it's interesting on the second one, um, the ascendant of the moment was exactly conjunct the uh, Saturn South Node configuration mm. uh, on that second bigger one that happened. And so I, oh, that was a fascinating, um, that was a fascinating chart in itself. But, you know, back to the heat wave, I think of that, and especially with that Mercury Mars uh, conjunction that was brewing in the skies as Mercury was stationing because Mercury um, is a changeable character in its own, <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, has a very interesting uh, role, I think, in in looking at astrology and weather. I've noticed it's mm-hmm. a player um, in things. And so now we have another chart that you're going to talk about with the second wave, and it definitely seems like you know Mercury's telling the story. Mercury and Mars are totally telling the story of this heat wave. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you completely. Yeah. If you look at the July one, so Mercury is basically revisiting these last degrees of cancer, um, but now it's retrograde. And um, one of the things that I saw it. So there's a book that Mel and I were both reading. It's called A Textbook of Long Range Weather Forecasting by a gentleman named George J. McCormack. And that's another, that's a book on weather um, astrology. And he says that whenever Mercury is retrograde, give preference to the negative nature of any other planets that it's with. Mm. And so here you'll notice, and I just kind of picked a date during that week when, um, when Europe had its heat wave. This was July 21st through the 28th. So Mercury at this time is quite close to the sun, which of course is another sort of heating element, if you will. And it can definitely intensify the sun's power, even though they are not in Leo yet, they're in a cold and moist sign that is cancer, but the sun will be the sun and it's definitely going to increase the heat that's available for Mercury to express. Hmm. Yeah. And then we have, yes, you, so you see, you'll see that Mercury retrograde right on top of the sun. I mean, just right there, but we also have that Mars and Jupiter trying going on. And I was reading in uh, the book that you just mentioned by uh, George McCormick, he was saying how, uh, I mean, basically what you said earlier, you know, uh, Leo being that sixth fire sign that Mars and Leo is like one of the hottest elements <laughs> that That's you right. could have. And then throw Jupiter in there, and then bam, you know, the trine's exactly. not stopping anything. Um, and it's also interesting in this chart that we have the, uh, the. I know you picked a kind of a, a random date, and that's an interesting thing to take into uh, mm-hmm. account too, because here I am like, the earthquake hit at exactly this, and this was the ascendant of the moment. But when you have things like, you know, the like these heat waves and these longer spells of things, it's hard to necessarily pinpoint that's right. you know, a start time. And so, um, yeah, so I thought it was interesting that the, the chart that you had pulled for the second heat wave had uh, the moon conjunct uh, Neptune in Pisces there. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, exactly. I mean, this heat wave was a week long, so the moon yeah. was in signs other than Pisces, you know, for your listeners. But it's definitely, um, there, there's definitely an element here of, of heat. And like I said, the plan, the character and sort of temperature of the planets really do matter. So the signs are very important, as Mel just pointed out. Obviously, Mars and Leo, kind of a big deal in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, you also have to take into account that the planets then each have certain kinds of influences that they bring to bear. 
Yes. And, and it almost makes me wonder, and of course I don't have times and this is just my brain going off on a tangent, but it almost makes me wonder with that moon placement, if maybe it had started off, uh, you know, contacting Jupiter in, in Sagittarius kind of in Mars to kind of get the heat started because I was reading in, in the weather forecasting book that, uh, then Saturn energy, say it went into Capricorn. Um, and of course we have, uh, Saturn, you know, loosely opposing some things over here in cancer in the chart, but Mm -hmm. Saturn tends to concentrate something and and that's right. Extreme to it. So that's kind of why I was wondering, maybe, you know, kind of started there and then started to concentrate itself even more more and then um and then just looking at jupiter in the square configuration to neptune this year too uh just got my mind kind of thinking because i don't know i've noticed a lot of neptune signatures with uh you know because traditionally i guess it was considered uh neptune was a figure for you know a god of storms um of you know, obviously sea storms and stuff, but other types of storms too. And so I don't know, Neptune's just an interesting figure when it comes to like oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more about him because he is one of the kind of key players in September. So when we'll go through our aspects in September, we'll have some opportunity to explore Neptune yes. for sure. Very cool. Yeah. And so, well, and before, cause I know we have another chart to look at that is very fascinating, but I, what I started thinking about with the heat wave, um, you know, that is a very, uh, it's interesting that they had that extreme heat wave. And then we had the extreme cold spell in, in the, um, you know, in the, what am I thinking about? The Midwest in Chicago area earlier this year. And when that happened, uh, that is when the sun and Mercury were conjunct in a superior conjunction uh, in Aquarius, Mm. which is like one of the most coldest signs. That's right. That's right. And so I thought that was interesting. And I also thought it was interesting how we'd have these two very extreme cases um, in this year alone. And so just food for thought, I suppose. Definitely. And, you know, and maybe this is a good time to bring up, well, I guess a couple of things. One is, you know, how does this all play into global warming? I can see, you know, you can imagine you're like, okay, well, you have these indications, but what happens then? And I think the thing to remember is that the astrology is the same anywhere in the world. Obviously the aspects are the same, but you have to put it all against the background of what is normal for a given area, right? You can imagine that the same aspect will produce different things based on what's normal in your place of residence. But with global warming, it you know everything gets hotter and more extreme. And so that has to play into, I think, our um, own interpretations, just given kind of all the changes in climate that we've been seeing, both toward heat, but also toward extreme cold because of the changes in Arctic currents and so on in winter. Yeah. And yes, absolutely. Because there are different factors at play. You know, the world is much different than it was, you know, 500 years ago That's when they right. were looking at things. Um, and, but, you know, and I saw these extremes and, but then I was thinking about my own area, which goes into what you were just saying. And although it's a little bit hot here right now, I have to say it has been a very mild summer, at least where I am. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, thank, thank the gods for that. That's <laughs> just, right. No, here as well. Yeah, because there's no, uh, well, there's not no, but uh, at least in my situation, there is no air conditioning <laughs> in my right, home. Right. <laughs> no, I, I am completely with you. And actually, I have, I have a couple of comments on why we've had such a cool winter and to some extent summer um, here in Southern California, if you're interested. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So I think one of the reasons is that we definitely have been feeling the Saturn and Capricorn influence. And as a result, I mean, that's why we had so many kind of, we had a pretty tough winter with a lot of winter storms. Um, Not here, of course, but um, well, partly here, we had a lot of rain, but the way it manifested, of course, it was much more dramatic back East and in the Midwest where they do get a lot more, you know, dramatic cold and and Mm -hmm. freezing temperatures. But Saturn in his own sign and Capricorn is going to be very cold. And I would even venture to make a prediction that as Saturn enters Aquarius, it's going to be even colder for those years and for those winters. Again, the way that it might manifest in California is more rain, not necessarily intensely freezing temperatures for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we can expect some more of that as Saturn transits his, his other sign. Mm. Well, I was I was entertaining that same thought, Nina. So I'm glad you confirmed that for for me because as I was well, looking at right. this, I was like, oh, well, if they can have that extreme cold spell with that, you know, Sun Mercury conjunction in Aquarius, looking over to Saturn and Capricorn, what's it going to be like when Saturn gets into Aquarius? So uh, right. we shall see, and um, that might put an interesting spin, especially on how. Uh, you know, we're noticing changes in the envir- environment and the temperature. And so we're, we're probably going to see that fluctuation, which is interesting. Um, so, okay. So now we have our, our last chart to look at before we get into our little September forecast here uh, is you pulled up the chart for Katrina, which happened in August 25th of 2005. So, you know, what's going on with Katrina here? So we were talking just to give people background. Mel and I were trying to find some interesting historic weather events. And I wanted to do something that was still in living memory. I mean, there are a lot of other drastic things, but I think it's not quite the same, you know, if it's from 1914 or something like that, where, you know, nobody remembers it who's alive anymore. Yeah. But of course, Katrina is very much, I think, vivid for a lot of people, even those who didn't live through it personally. And I wanted to point out a few really interesting um, things in this chart. And of course, we can, we'll talk about it in more detail. So, the first thing that I would I would sort of call to your attention is there, there's a very close Mercury-Mars square. Mm. And that tends to be uh, productive of storms. I think that's according to McCormack. But that's something we also see in, like I said, in Goad, in Astrometeorologica. Um, Mercury is wind and Mars is usually stormy in that context. And so the two of them together in a kind of setting and in a climate where storms are possible, particularly during hurricane season, you're going to see, uh, you know, you are going to see heavy storms and possibly intense hurricanes. Interestingly, we're about to have more of the same. We'll talk about that in our September. Um, <laughs> I was so, oh, I was right? thinking that. Oh, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm like, ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> see, you're on the right track, Mel. <laughs> um, yeah, so Mercury square Mars definitely will add wind. It'll add, um, instability of, of air temperatures and you know it just causes a lot of agitation in the atmosphere. Mm. The other thing that I would say adds to all of this, obviously if it was just Mars square Saturn or Mars square Mercury isn't so bad. But then of course Saturn is involved here as well because he is conjunct Mercury. It's a wide conjunction, but it's still active. And he's also opposite Neptune, mm. um, you know, our, our favorite planet, like I said, and we'll get back to it. So and according to McCormack, who does talk about Neptune a lot, he said that it actually brings weeks of variable weather. Let's see. He said weeks long abnormal weather conditions. And so you can think of that Saturn-Neptune opposition as creating kind of a longer term trend 
that when other faster moving planets like Mercury and Mars make their square, it might just set off something that's already brewing in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So it helps to kind of be aware of the larger trends of a given year. And then, well, yeah, well, ahead. it's interesting. Well, it's interesting with what you're saying with the kind of the the larger trend, trend or what might already be fixed there, because all the, you know, Mercury, Mars, and Neptune in this you know T square essentially mm-hmm. are yeah. all in a you know fixed signs. So that's right. It, it is propelling something and concentrating something, especially having Saturn there near Mercury. And you know, hurricanes take time. Being from Florida, <laughs> uh, hurricanes take time to form and actually create their path and gain strength. So it's, I wonder how close Mercury was to Saturn when uh, the hurricane itself was then formed and then started right. to develop itself. That's right, because, and you probably know this better than me, again, being from Florida, I'm sure you're, you're watching like the life cycle of various storms constantly yeah. during hurricane season. But it seems to me like it can take um, a week or 10 days or maybe even longer for, for that storm to really be seeded, right? Before it really turns into something major. Yes, especially if it's coming, because basically the hurricanes are coming from the, you know, the south coast of Africa and that area, and then they come up through and over and across through the Caribbean and then over to Florida. And so that, that's a long process where it goes from a tropical depression to a tropical storm to, a, you know, to the hurricane itself. And so, yeah, it is a process. And so to me, I, I would be almost willing to put money on it if I went back and did some research. Okay, put that in my pocket for later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'd be fascinating to find out. I'm sure the information is out there too. It's gotcha. such a you know major event that I'm sure it's been studied very carefully. Yeah, so yeah. we see that volatile. Is there anything else you see going on uh, there? There's one more thing that I would point out. So I, I alluded to Saturn. And whenever Saturn's involved in a weather pattern such as here you will see a um, very heavy precipitation and very deep uh, barometric pressure drops, which is usually indicative of major storms. Mm-hmm. And so again, as Melissa said, you know, if it's all in, in fixed signs, everything's just moving very slowly and it's, it just gains power through that kind of you know, deep fixed energy. Um, these storms are not like one and out. They are they are here to stay for extended periods of time. Yes, and yes, and clearly this one was because we do know the destruction that ha- unfortunately happened with it. Um, and yeah, so well, and it's also interesting that at that at that particular time that you have because I noticed you set all, uh, the charts for about twelve p.m. for roughly That's about right, the just time. Noon. Yes. Um, And so we can also see in in this particular chart that the moon itself, because I was reading how the moon um, is a distributor of moisture. Is that correct? That is right. Yeah. And it's interesting that in this particular chart that that moon is approaching a last quarter square too. So there's some tension Mm. uh, in the skies. Just That's a good point. And of course, that's separating conjunction with with Mars as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, I'm going to throw another little quick curveball in here before we get to the forecast, just because I forgot about this and I wanted to show it to you, Nina, but I thought about yeah, it last minute. No problem. I'll just describe it. But you know how they have, and this is in relation to uh, more the uh, moon phases. I'm just going to point these out. Is that, uh, you know, in, in December, December 22nd of last year, uh, how there was a tsunami in Indonesia right. um, that had taken people by surprise, as they do, um, and which was decently devastating there. And so I thought that was very interesting because I wanted to compare it back to the... Um, 
the uh, Sumatra tsunami that happened back in 2004, uh, which was several years ago. But I remember in my own, in my mind, I was like, wait, they both were around Christmas time. I'm I'm just curious, you know, because (laughs) what's going on there. And so I looked up both charts and okay, not only Okay, so the 2004 tsunami had uh, the sun at four degrees Capricorn, and in 2018, the sun was at zero degrees Capricorn. So they're both crossing over solstice points. Right. Um, but what's interesting, you know, is both uh, charts not only have the moon uh, approaching full with the with the sun, but they're both at 28 degrees uh, in in. 40 some minutes of Gemini at the exact same point the moon That's is fascinating and that was just fascinating to me uh, and of course I don't I haven't really dived too much into it but just that moon placement just spoke volumes in some sure. way um, so I don't know what you think about that or if it's or if the solstice points and the equinoxes might be more sensitive in some way you know that's a great point I think there's a couple of things and I don't have my ephemeris in front of me but if I remember correctly, the um, the 2004 tsunami had some indications. I think this was a Mars, Saturn, and Capricorn event. Oh, not, excuse me, Cancer. Mars, Saturn, and Cancer. Um, if you have the chart, you can correct me. Yeah, I see Saturn. Saturn's at 25 degrees Cancer. Mm-hmm. This is 2004, right? That's right. Um, and then... Well, it looks like Mars just en- just entered like Sagittarius, zero degrees in 16 minutes. Uh, and it's on approach to make a conjunction uh, with, well, no, actually, sorry, it's going slower. But basically, yeah. uh, Mercury and Venus had passed it earlier. Oh, very interesting. So they're all in a conjunction, but Mercury and Venus are pretty closely conjunct in that mm. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, I think what I was what I was going to say is often... There is an, you know, Saturn does seem to be, it does seem to figure to some extent in these tsunamis that I've seen. Um, but with respect to the moon placement, it makes a lot of sense to me that a tsunami particularly would be indicated by lunar uh, movements and lunar placements because, of course, it's not the tide exactly, but it's certainly the sea. Um, Saturn is the other co significator of the sea. And we won't get into that too much, but it's one of the reasons is that Saturn is inimical to life. And so is the sea in the sense of you can't drink the water, you can't irrigate with it. Um, and just the ocean generally tries to kill people. And so it's uh, um, <laughs> yes. not, your, not your friend. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but of course, the moon being, being the ruler of all liquids is often implicated. But that placement, I, I, I'll have to study it. I'm interested to know whether it has any kind of... Um, uh, any kind of eclipse points, maybe that that's activating or anything like that, since eclipses are often active for a year or more. But, yeah, well, and that's yeah. interesting because well, basically the 2018 tsunami was um, approaching. Well, no, I got. Did we have the? Uh, did we ha- have an eclipse at the beginning? Or that was just a full moon. No, that wasn't a. It's kind of an eclipse range, <laughs> but That's right. that full moon that was at very early degrees of Cancer and Capricorn. But to go back to the 2004 one, I think I see another added to that Mars, uh, Nina, is that Mars at zero degrees Sagittarius was approaching a square with Uranus at three degrees of Pisces. Which is always a good time, as we all know. Yes. yes. And so basically that's a similar setup for what we were talking about earlier with the uh, earthquakes that we had here in Southern California. And right. you know, 
know what's also interesting about this tsunami in 2004 is I was listening a couple of years ago to a Michael Luton tape when I was transferring all these uh, SDAS lectures um, onto, you know. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so he was talking about uh, having uh, Uranus move into Pisces, and he mm. actually predicted, <laughs> you know, these uh, you know seismic and watery events. And mm. this was like a couple months before this even happened because I have the data, sure. and I was like, oh my god, he was right on. But right. you know, when you think about Uranus uh, in Pisces too, because in order to have a tsunami, we have to have seismic activity. That's right, and, and like, that's what triggered this. There was an undersea earthquake, as I yes. understand it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, so many. Oh, I mean, we could probably be here for days pulling up things. Pretty much. <laughs> that's what happens. That's the that's the hazard with astrometeorology is that you start looking at all these historic events and you're just you just get sucked in. You get sucked in. So yeah. now here we are at September. So we're going to try our hand at seeing what's going to, uh, you know, kind of come down the pipeline, at least for uh, here, you know, Southern California area, because Nina and I are both located in this area. So it makes it convenient for us to look. Um, so now, Nina, what are we looking at first? Uh, we pull up some charts. What's, what's our yeah. path? So what I was going to do is maybe we can look at our new moon chart for August 30th. And I set mine for LA, obviously. You can say yours for San Diego. They really won't be very much different for our purposes. Yes, it was very close. It was so close that I'm like, oh, I'm just using you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't think there's a material difference, but you know, I didn't want to kind of be um, San Diegoist. No, and, you're fine. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so what I wanted to point out very quickly is that um, new moon and full moon charts are quite important in weather forecasting because they will give you a picture of what is to come for the next two weeks or a month. There is some dispute in traditional sources about whether new moon or full moon is better. And I say use them both. It's certainly, you know, they will each be good for two weeks and there's nothing wrong with looking at them when you've got them. Mm. And like that was actually a question I was going to ask yes. you whether or not um, uh, there was kind of like a switch over when the full moon chart, you know, activates or if it's kind of like a combination between it, full moon that, and Yeah, that's a great charts. question, Mel. And I've seen both. Sometimes you see kind of a very discreet change around the time of the lunation. And other times you can see how the full moon chart kind of builds on something that's already present in the new moon. Mm-hmm. So there, I, I don't want to say there's a hard and fast rule, but it's certainly good to look at them both. Yes. And so, well, another thing that they had said in the book, and I don't know if, if it's a practice that you use, do you use the, the seasonal ingress charts? Yes. For, yes, as well? Yes, I am, I am like the original fangirl for the Aries ingress. <laughs> well, not original today. The original <laughs> fangirls and fanboys for it were like thousands of years ago because it's a very ancient practice. But it is something that I spend a lot of my time looking at both for uh, like political activity, but also for weather activity. Mm. And now do you use only the Aries chart or will you draw, draw a chart for each? Um, like I do a chart for each season. Yes. Okay. Because I, I looked at the, the solstice, the cancer solstice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very interesting in relation to uh, Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, okay. Definitely. Yeah. Right. But you can also look at these charts in isolation. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, how much time do you have? You know? I know. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so looking at the new moon chart, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting new moon. I've written a little bit about it online, like on Instagram, because we have five planets in Virgo, including, of course, the moon and the sun. And, you know, again, with the Mercury sign, to me, that definitely indicates some level of uh, 
potential, you know, again, high winds, a lot of the things that Mercury symbolizes are going to be, I think, amplified um, during this two-week period, potentially. Mm. Yeah, so much, so much Virgo. I know, more than usually. <laughs> yes. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, if you need any Virgo, now is your time to That's dive right. in while you can. So, right. yeah, so we have Mercury, the moon, the sun, Mars, Venus, all, you know, clustered there in, you know, pretty early degrees of Virgo. Um, and it's interesting that, so, uh, of course, the sun and the moon there and Mars are in a pretty tight trine with your, our, our friend Uranus there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Taurus. So, I mean, what would we say about uh, that kind of static element? Pun intended, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. I was going to say that there you go, that that is the static element. Well, and if you're looking at the outer planets, we also have, it's a wide opposition from Neptune, but you're also getting, you know, Pluto pulled in as well. I mean, what's interesting about this new moon chart is all the planets are engaged, yes. basically. Everybody's aspecting kind of everybody else, either directly or indirectly which doesn't always happen. So this chart is sort of interesting to me. Um, according to the traditional rules, the ruler, so the ruler of the new moon, of course, is going to be Mercury because you have to look at the sign of the moon and that's going to be Virgo, which is ruled by Mercury. So he'll be important. But the other thing that you do, and this is more uh, location specific, so this is more targeted towards Southern California, is the ruler of this lunation is going to be uh, Venus. And that's the way that we do that. This comes from a, a 17th century French author named Marinus, who wrote a lot on weather astrology as well. And his method, which I thought was always very helpful for just finding kind of that one or two focal planets in one of these lunations, is you look at the angle that follows the key point. Now, in our case, the key point is obviously the new moon at six Virgo. And the angle that follows it in our location is going to be Libra. Mm-hmm. And so the ruler of that angle is Venus. So she is going to be a key planet for us. So mm-hmm. Mercury is the ruler worldwide, obviously, and Venus is going to be our local ruler. Now, the thing that I would point out with Venus is that she is conjunct Mars. So that certainly adds some heat and dryness. Mm-hmm. And she herself is also in a dry sign because that's all the earth signs are considered dry. She is also square Jupiter, but then he's also in a fire sign. So he, I don't think he's providing a lot of moisture for us here. So this to me seems like a period of fairly, fairly intense dryness. I mean, you will still get your fog, but it may actually not be even as foggy as you might expect for this time of year over Mm. on the coast. Yeah. I don't know if you've been seeing any of that or... or well, it's that, funny you say that yeah. because um, I, I... Well, I will say I looked at all the Virgo and the first thing that came in my mind is it's going to be super dry. Right. And like, because I'm someone who is all about humidity. So I looked at that and I was like, man, come on. You know, <laughs> uh, you know the Santa Ana type of thing that we get yeah. here where it'll get super hot and just super dry and, and nothing's yes. moving. Nothing's moving except your... I I literally... I have Uranus on the Ascendant. So if there's any static in the air, I shock everything. (laughs) I'm telling you, other people, static things, the cat, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever's within reach. Exactly. Um, So, uh, oh, what I was going to say is that I find it so um, in relation to the fog (laughs) and, you know, kind of clouds is that every time Neptune and the moon meet, especially in in a tense configuration... I wake up and there's fog. There is just, and there'll be a fog that has to burn off. And I've been tracking it for quite some time now and it is quite reliable. And wow. it, it makes me chuckle every time I see it. Uh, like, even though it's the dead of summer, you know, like the other day I woke up 
and the moon was, uh, I think it was square Neptune. And sure enough, there was fog in the air. That's Um, really interesting. Yeah. So I don't know what Neptune's doing there, but at least in San Diego, it's bringing in the fog. That's Um, good. And that's (laughs) that's very helpful. Yeah. It's interesting. We haven't had as much as I would have expected here in LA because we we get some of the same phenomenon and I'm fairly close to the coast. So it's not like out in the valley where you just would never get fog to begin True. with. Of course, it's not San Diego, which is super, um, super marine environment. But yeah, this to me seems like this would bring more dryness than anything else. Yeah, um, And again, potentially wind. So that's something to consider. Um, but we can, what I was thinking is we can talk about this chart and then we can look at the aspects that are until about the time of the full moon. And then we can jump into that chart and the following aspects. Does that sound okay? okay. Yes, let's do that. All right, okay. let's go over to our little list here. Now, would we be looking at, would we be looking at the moon at all? Or are we just looking at, tra- you know, transits? We certainly can look at the moon. I usually look at all the other planets, but there's no harm. It's again, you know, how much time do you have? Have. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what do we, we have so many conjunctions going on. I know. And I'm so excited to talk about it because I don't know, and this is something that's non-California specific. I'm sure you've seen it in the news. There is the Hurricane Dorian, which is going to hit Florida probably sometime uh, Sunday or Monday. Um, looks like it's going to be a category four. So it's, it's quite powerful. Oh, I better and, check in with that. My parents live there and I was unaware. <laughs> Yeah, you might want to you might want to check look at that. See, see how things are going. Yeah. But what I wanted to point out is that's right around the time when we get that sun first conjoining Mars on September 2nd and then immediately afterwards conjoining Mercury September 3rd. So remember how we talked about earlier how Mercury and Mars together are, you know, it's a breeder of storms. Well, the sun just clicks in place and kind of activates that conjunction. So that's your Dorian uh, conjunction for this year, for sure. Mm. So yeah, so we're seeing, you know, Mercury, Sun, Mars together. So that's more, uh, you know, volatile weather, right? right more wind, right. more... Gu- uh, uh, well, and especially with uh, trying to Uranus there too, because uh, Uranus kind of can be really gusty winds. and That's right. Vehicle. It's certainly an intensifier. Yeah. 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 I remember one time I went to go look at... <laughs> I, uh, it was a Uranus transit in the sky and I had been kind of watching weather at this time. This was a couple months ago. And, um, so I was kind of what, looking for something to happen. And sure enough, out of nowhere that, that evening there, all of a sudden these crazy gusts came out of nowhere. And I have these plants that are on a second, um, a balcony that's right. on the second floor and they all started toppling over. And I was outside, like my wind, my hair is just blown. I'm trying to save my plants. And, and I'm like, Damn it, you're wrong. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? I went and looked at the the chart of the moment. Sure enough, Uranus was on an angle at that time, and it was being activated. It was either on Very the ascent or the mid heaven. And I was like, huh? That's right. Yes. No plants were harmed in that. Uh, <laughs> good, good. In the making of that particular episode. Yes. Yeah. So, so maybe a little uh, gustiness or some... Absolutely. And again, it depends on your particular location. If you're in the Gulf, this could bring a major storm. Um, the other thing that I would point out is that this is a, this is an earthquake combination as well. Now, you know, earthquakes happen in a lot of places in the world. And so I I don't want to be all kind of SoCal centric and assume it's going to happen to us. Um, it could really activate seismic activity anywhere, but don't forget that, you know, Mercury and Mars is something that was definitely active when we had our earthquakes here a few months ago. 
sets. So I don't know that we get a return of it necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got some seismic activity in the world that's major enough to be reported at that time as well. Yeah, well, and it, it, it's interesting and it's definitely worth tracking just because not only in our, our new moon chart that we're looking at, um, uh, we have Uranus up there at the at the top of the chart, and then in our uh, summer solstice chart, uh, at least the one I pulled up, uh, Uranus is exactly conjunct the MC for the That's solstice, right. and so that would that to me was like, oh well, no wonder maybe that activity would be. That's right. Us. That's right. No, that's that's a great point, and especially when the Earth signs are involved. You know, that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit nervous about Uranus moving into Taurus because it's not that Uranus and Taurus alone produces earthquakes, but then if you get some other planets and earth signs, it can definitely be an indication for significant seismic activity. Mm. And, and we have plenty of that going on because basically we have, you know, all this pile up in Virgo, you know, right. trining into Uranus. And then of course the next trying to happen is over to Mr. Concentration, Saturn over there. That's Capricorn. right. That's exactly right. Mm, interesting. So, all right. So, so far we see some potential for storms. We see some uh, potential for even seismic activity. We see some, uh, possible heat and dryness, <laughs> mm-hmm. some wind as well uh, here. So, all right. So we start out with those conjunctions and then what happens next? Where are we going next? Well, the, the next aspect I have marked is September 12th, but maybe you have something before then. I want oh, to make I'm, sure I was like, I, kn- I know that Nina was going to have this organized. <laughs> I'm just going to follow whatever, whatever she does. So let's look at the 12th. What's going All on? All right. So September 12th is the day, at least in Pacific time of Mars square Jupiter. And that's kind of a biggie, you know, it doesn't happen every day, sort of a major aspect. And generally that combination is said to bring high winds, rain and thunder. And depending on which planet prevails, and I'll talk just in a second about what prevailing means. Um, if, if Mars prevails, who, who does in this case, you get drought, fires and sickness. And this is another aspect sort of of astrometeorology where they often talk about epidemics as a function of weather. Now, obviously this is prior to any kind of germ theory of disease, but um, epidemics are seen as something that is also foretold by some of these major aspects, often when these slower planets are involved, such as Jupiter and Saturn and then Mars kind of coming along to activate it all. Mm, yes. I, I would feel, I would think that you would have to have more of a concentrated slower force to create an epidemic. That's right. To begin with. Um, yeah. Especially with Jupiter or, or Neptune too together, you know, because with the, that disease. But I guess that does make a lot of sense too, because if you had in, intense weather situations, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, we don't have the same facility that we did back then. And so that change in environment could definitely Mm -hmm. create breeding grounds for something or, you know, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's, that's quite possible. And I'm just clicking my chart forward here. So hopefully it's not too loud on our recording, but I just wanted to comment on that. So yeah, so we have Mars square Jupiter and then uh, the sun is still very much present with, um, with Mars. So I think that could be another thing that sets off a potential storm or something like that. Um, you know, it's just, it's a major enough aspect that we're going to hear about it in some, in some form for sure. Mm. I know, well, you know what I started thinking about too, Nina, and correct me if I'm wrong. I start, cause a lot of these aspects are kind of, 
Well, you know, because I mean, Jupiter, Saturn, and Neptune are close enough into degree to where, like we were saying before, you know, as planets are passing, especially from Virgo, they're kind of contacting right. all these in, a, in some sort of succession. And so I was just kind of wondering with Jupiter and Saturn, you know, because they're so different and they're in signs that are so different, mm-hmm. um, but they're both being kind of activated at the same time. If maybe those two different forces might create more erratic weather because of kind of pressures that are like, you know, just yeah, absolutely. Different. That are conflicting in some way, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're onto something. And the other thing that I would point out, and I don't know how much people are familiar with it, but if you're familiar with the concept of Antitia mm-hmm. um, or yes. the shadow reflections of planets, Jupiter and Saturn have been conjunct by Antitian for quite a while now. And, um, and so they, there, there is this combination of Jupiter and Saturn in what I would call a, a shadow or less obvious manner, but they're working together, although not necessarily harmoniously. Yes. Uh, I think they have been ever since they've, they've been sort of in the middle of their respective signs. Yeah. And it makes me think of uh, what uh, April Elliot Kent once said. She was like, she's like, just because, you know, the, the gods are getting together to plan doesn't mean you don't know what they're planning. That's <laughs> right. Doesn't mean it's together. good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. So we're looking at the 12th there and Mars squaring Jupiter. And so there's some action kicked up there as well, which we're getting pretty close to our, our full moon. Full moon. Exactly. So maybe we can talk about that because yeah. that aspect will still very much be active. It's technically separating, but only by about a degree. Yeah. So it'll be very much in full force. Hmm. Yeah. Do you want to take a crack at this one? So well, let's any thoughts on what, did I- what you see? Yeah. I have some notes, but all but I'm uh, getting dark in my house. The sun is going down. <laughs> like, what, what am I right here? Um, oh, that's the new moon. Okay. So, well, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the, the passing of all the Neptune action going on, but Mars in exact opposition to Neptune. Right. There right. Seems to me to um, be a little bit uh, stormy. Um, and well, I thought it was interesting too with this particular chart, you know, with um, in relation to tides, because I was mm-hmm. reading uh, how there can be a little more, um, uh, a little more strength to to the rising of tides, yes. especially when um, there is a full moon or a new moon that is near an equinox point. Which mm-hmm. at this point we're getting rather close to, you know, our our autumn equinox here, or e- well, wherever you are, the equinox. <laughs> That's right. And so I just wondered uh, in my to myself if maybe there would be you know, higher tides at that time or would be kind of, um, but also intensifying some sort of, you know, prevailing storm or it seemed very stormy or kind of seismic to me, like a a combination of all those things, Um, which depending on where you are, you know, they could all really work together to create some sort of situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that McCormack says in his book is that Mars opposite Neptune brings intense and in quotes, freak occurrences. So in other words, weird weather or weather that's been intensified dramatically is something that we could expect around the time of the full moon as well as within the following two weeks. 
Yes. And so that, and I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you are over in, in hurricane parts, you know, this is hurricane season. So yes, uh, just yes. be aware of, um, you know, that emphasis. Uh, but you know, if you're in hurricane parts, you're also a pro. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. Well, I had a friend, uh, one of my best friends growing up, she posted a mem earlier today. She's like, well, you think Black Friday is bad. Have you ever been to a grocery store before a hurricane? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's true. It's chaotic. Yeah, I can imagine it's pretty nuts. Yeah, it gets nuts. So, but I also see here, it, uh, we also have um, Mercury right there conjunct Venus at the very last degree of, of Virgo. Would that add anything to our situation? You know, that's really interesting. I mean, in modern astrology, that's considered a critical degree. Yeah. And even though there isn't a similar concept in traditional astrology, the the last few degrees of every sign are considered malefic because they are in the bounds or terms, as they are called, of malefic planets. And so there can be some additional nastiness whenever you have planets. And it's not just the last degree. It'll be like the last four or five or six, just depending on which sign you're looking at. But Yes, and it, it looks it like it can be a challenging position. Yes, sure. and so it looks like I think Saturn is the bound of that particular yes. degree, and yes. so we're looking at more concentration, exactly. Uh, perhaps, and you know, Mercury at a critical degree, uh, still in in Virgo, you know, whipping up some potential wind there. Right, um, right, and just that combination of Mercury and Venus definitely it brings excessive rain. That's what I was thinking yeah. because Venus brings the moisture, but she is That's in the dry right. sign. But yeah, I think she'll still be moist, at least in the location where rain is is possible. So certainly, if you're again, if you're looking at the Gulf, um, you know, Florida. Oh, true. Sure. And we do have that emphasis of a Pisces full moon and, you know, Neptune in Pisces. So we, we got some water on our side for sure. Exactly. There. Yeah. I, I, I would actually say, and I read this, this is not something that came from my own understanding, but a couple of months ago, I think some, um, some um, I was going to say astronomers, but I won't really want to say meteorologists <laughs> were looking at, um, they were looking at air that's been building up in the Gulf for a long time. And some of these areas of, of hot air and you know that, that cause certain storms to be more intense, they can build up for a year or more. I mean, this is not a short-term thing at all. And they were expecting this to be a fairly intense storm season so that if a storm got into kind of that zone of, of Florida and the Gulf, it could be quite significantly intensified by the conditions that have been prevailing there for a while. Mm. So I'm wondering if maybe that moon-Neptune conjunction in this chart and obviously opposing all of those Virgo planets indicates some of that intensification, uh, particularly for that region, especially if you cast this chart for Florida, for example, mm. which I didn't do, but the, yeah, <laughs> whether you'd see some of this on an angle. For we'll instance. have to do some of that when we, well, when we're That's off right. the call. But uh, it makes me also wonder when I, cause I, you know, when you just think of mutable signs in, in general, it kind of wraps things up in some sort of transition area yes. point. So that speaks a lot to, you know, working off of, you know, working with conditions that have been the prevailing conditions that now can be, the storm can, you know, gather all of it and exactly. <laughs> become kind of a super storm um, there. And well, and what I wanted to ask you, Nina, because um, around that time, I'm, I don't have the date right now, of course, but, uh, you know, Saturn is about to station a little bit after yes. that. So I was wondering, you know, is, is that going to add some extra Saturn? What it, cause I we think we're on the same wavelength, Mel. Yeah, it's in my notes too. September 18th, Saturn turns direct. 
And that generally brings the so-called disturbances in the atmosphere. So again, a potential for storms, a potential for weird weather and just sudden weather changes for sure. Mm, yes. Yeah. So the, here we have this concentrated concentration <laughs> of yes. Saturn turning uh, direct in its own sign. And, you know, it, I mean, it, it takes some time to slow down and really all these planets will trine into it as we start off the Virgo, you know, the September month. Right. So and that's also speaking to prevailing conditions or working on, you know, building on prevailing conditions exactly. as well. So it's, it's looking kind of stormy and a little unpredictable. Right. And from... Yes. <laughs> exactly. So now are there any other aspects that go on out uh, past the full moon that we're... Yeah, we've, got, we've got three. Um, probably the biggest one is going to be the Jupiter square Neptune, yes. September 21st. And again, that's not something that happens every day either, right? Yeah. And uh, one one thing I read about it, this was in McCormack, he said that it can often indicate volcanic dust in the atmosphere, which seems very kind of weirdly specific, but there it is. And I can see that just more generally bringing storms and rain. Again, that's going to be one of your longer term conditions that's present for some weeks because mm. it takes a while for that to build up and then for it to, to die down. He also says that this combination is an epidemic breeder. So it's another indication that this could be, you know, it could be the beginning of a potentially difficult flu season. I mean, flu season really does start kind of September, October, and it doesn't come from nowhere. You know, these things are already sort of brewing as, yeah. as we speak in the coming weeks and certainly by the time September rolls around. Yes. And I wonder if maybe even just because it's harvest time, if there'll be some issue with crops or something along those that lines. That could well be. What a great point. Yeah. So uh-huh, interesting. And I'll, uh, to pull it back real quick to our previous charts we looked at with the heat wave and then Katrina, what's interesting, of course, our heat waves have, have that Jupiter, um, you know, Neptune square. Right. But then the Katrina chart has Jupiter and Neptune in a trine to one another. Um, mm-hmm. Not exact, but it's, it's close enough to close be enough. influence. Yeah. So I found that interesting just in kind of relation to everything we're talking How about. How they act on each other. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and, and I'm assuming it will be more of a bigger influence, obviously, because these planets move so slowly, um, are slow enough to where it will be more of a, you know, bookended period of time rather than kind of an acute sharp hit of something. Exactly. I think that's right. Again, you have sort of this background energy that occasionally gets activated by other aspects going on. All right. So Jupiter square Neptune, the last pass, and then we're moving on to Saturn, Pluto land. Don't miss it. Um, Yeah. And then (laughs) September 22nd, we've got Mercury square Saturn, and that's followed on the 25th by Venus square Saturn. Oh. And And I think we're going to definitely get some condensation and rain in the appropriate locations and downpour. I think you're absolutely right, especially since by that time, Mercury and Venus will both have moved into Libra, which is has more moisture to it, right? That's right. Yes. That's exactly right. Okay. So we're kind of, those are getting out of the dry area. We're getting into Libra here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, probably see some uh, late September, maybe rain, maybe, you know. Well, yeah, maybe even Maybe here. for Southern California, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. it happened. It happened. It's... um. 
I mean, we certainly, I don't know about you guys, but we got some rain this spring even, which is very unusual. Yes, we did. And I remember that because I had my windows washed and then it rained like uh, two weeks later. That is so funny, Nina, because that is the same thing that happened to me because new windows. Uh, We actually got new windows at the time of the, the... Oh um, yeah. The December solstice. And uh, the first time I went to go clean them and it was like a big ordeal, you know, these huge windows. Yeah. All sparkling. And then like two days later that, and that's the thing in Southern California, when we get rain, sometimes it's like piddle rain and it's, it's more like it's rain that serves to dirty everything around you. Yes. Actually make that's so <laughs> <you> true. <laughs> and my windows are just toast. And I was like, man. <laughs> I know. You're like, why did I do this? Well, the other possibility, of course, Mel, is that you and I just have rain bringing powers. Hey. So all we need to do is clean our windows and then rain will come. Yeah. Well, aren't you a Scorpio rising too? Aren't we? I Don't am. we share that? Okay. So we're, we're fixed bringers of the rain. <laughs> yeah. So now, now that everybody knows our superpower, you know, we are available for a very reasonable yeah. fee to bring rain to your location. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can't wait. I'll do that dance. Um, all right. So now did we have a, a last aspect or was uh, that, that was, was it for me? Unless there was something else that you found that you'd like to share. I think I think we kind of wrapped it all up, really. But from what I can tell, there was so much to look at that I was just trying to organize yeah. everything in my No, mind. you're you're doing very well. For someone who claims to just have learned about weather astrology, Mel is like more than holding her own here. So <laughs> she's doing great. Yay. All right. Well, I feel accomplished today. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Um, so all right. Well, we have discovered that we're probably gonna start off a little bit dry here in September. Um, but there are is that possibility for winds and some potential storms and some seismic activity. And then there's even more potential for some storms later on in the season once that Pisces full moon happens and then those uh, Mercury-Venus squares from Libra to Saturn. And so it's, it's what I'm getting from this, Nina, is that my very mild summer that I've been enjoying (laughs) is about to take a twist a little bit here. Um, which Possibly. makes <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, you know, but I still don't see kind of excessive heat. Yeah. Um, if now, you know, it might, things might just get a little more interesting, but then, you know, I feel like coastal California or weather is never really that extreme. Yeah. And well, and when it is get, gets warmer, like I said, I don't have air conditioning, air conditioning. Right. So there's not really like where, you know, my Floridian self, if it was 82 outside, I'd be like, oh, it's pretty mild. <laughs> right, that's but right. But here is not so much because I'm sweating in my house. Yes. So, yes. Um, but for me, it's the dry. I cannot stand the dry. So I'm hoping that maybe there'll, you know, I'll just, there'll be a little wetness that comes around. Neptune, pray into Neptune. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll be doing the rain dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, well, this was really fun. I'm I'm glad we had a chance to kind of go through September. Me Um, too. So, all right. Well, Nina, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Well, I always have something going on. Um, So people can find me on ninagriffin.com. They can also find me on Instagram and Facebook, just under Nina Griffin. And uh, probably the, the biggest thing I have going on, it's really two things. I'm giving a workshop in Beijing in September on magical astrology or astrological magic. Um, but if you're not in that area, that's okay, because I will also be doing a course on astrological magic for Kepler College online starting October 19th. And that's mm-hmm. a five-week course. The classes are on uh, successive Saturdays. 
All right. Well, so if you want to get into that, those talismans, now's your chance. Put it on your pro rain, anti rain, whatever you want. Yeah, Yeah. I know. See? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. We set set the course nicely for that. That's right. So definitely check out Nina and her, what she has coming up. And uh, like she said, she's always busy. So I'm sure there's going to be different things that pop up through time. And you're rather active on social media as well, always sharing fun little traditional tidbits that I really enjoy. So I'm so glad. Well, thank you. It's something I enjoy doing as well. Oh, good. So go check her out for sure. And in case you didn't get any of that with my blog post, this all, all this information will be concentrated like Saturn in one place. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, where can you find me? Well, you can find me over at energeticprinciples.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Um, and of course, I have my Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. Um, and you can find that at patreon.com backslash energeticprinciples. And, you know, people need to hear about the weather. They need to know that this stuff exists and it's fascinating. So share this podcast with a friend to spread the good word or leave a a review wherever it is that you listen to it because that way myself and Nina can get a wider audience to share this lovely knowledge. Um, So, all right, Nina, thank you so much again for joining me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Mel. It's always fun. All right, everyone. And it's always a pleasure speaking to you. So thank you for listening. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.